from January through the last 30 weeks. This is the 30th uh, one in this little series, we call little series, <coughs> looking at God's big picture, knowing God's story, knowing God's plan, His purposes. You see, one of the things we know is that God is good. We've been singing these songs, all these songs here today. Uh, and at the wedding yesterday, we're thinking about heaven and about glory and the future. And that's where we get to in this this sweep through the Bible. We started back in January, way back in, in Genesis chapter 1, God's perfect creation that was then spoilt by sin. But God had a plan. And we've been seeing how God has worked out that plan. It wasn't plan B. You know, it wasn't that God created the world and then he was taken by surprise that someone had sinned. God knew, right? And it was always plan A. That's why in the New Testament it says, even before the creation of the world, God prepared his son. Right? God had a plan from the beginning. And that's what we're rejoicing in. That we don't, we're not having a God who kind of like uh, making it up on the hoof as he goes along. He is working his purposes out. And we're part of that. We're in that place where all this is happening. And we come in this story today of seeing God's, to the book of Revelation, seeing God's plans and purposes being worked on, that worked out. So, you know, the Bible begins, as I said, with this uh, picture of the world in perfection designed by its loving creator. And human beings through Adam and Eve were in that garden enjoying harmony with one another and harmony in their relationship with God and suddenly the perfection was destroyed through humanity's free will. We chose to sin. And as a result of that, we've gone through the fall and things have just got from worse to worse, or whatever the phrase is, I can't think right now, you know. But God promised. Remember that one of those first lessons we looked at, Genesis chapter 3? God's first promise. You will strike him, but I will crush his head. There's that first promise of this salvation plan that God has, this redemption that goes through the whole of Scripture. That God is going to do something, and he's working something out. You may think that this is enemy. You may think, that God is, is on the run. But he says, no, I'm going to crush your head. Satan's head. Have you ever seen the film The Passion? You know, there's a, there's a little sequence in there. I think it's right near the beginning when you see that snake crawl across the I think it's a really powerful scene. Has anyone seen that? And you're kind of like sitting there thinking, I wonder what this film is going to be. And then suddenly it's bang! And that's the crushing of Satan's head. It's symbolic there. That's the beginning. This is what this is about. And in that film, that reference is going back to that verse in Genesis where God makes his promise. I'm not taken by surprise because of sinful humanity. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. And he works it out, not just then, but he calls a man called Abraham to be the father of a nation. God's own people that he calls together. That they should be a blessing to the whole world. And uh, within that family of Abraham, we saw that in the line of Judah, remember when Jack brought that message, that through the line of Judah, this Messiah figure would come, a king who will bring in the rule and reign of God for all the earth. And we've gone on through the Bible and we see how God chose Moses to lead his people out of bondage and into 
a promised land. Via what? Via the blood of a lamb that was sacrificed and posted on the doorposts. And we saw how there, the lamb, the lamb that we've been singing about, this lamb of God, was there, the sacrifice. And it went on through the sacrifices in the temple, symbolic of the lamb who would be called Jesus Christ. And as John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there we get, we come right up to to the revelation and here it is, the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride. We saw it yesterday. Not the wedding between Kira and Forchi, but this picture of the church and Christ dwelling together for eternity. And I'm going to say it again because I've really run to reiterate it. I think the world, the church, Christians have too low a view of what church is about. We are the bride of Christ. Now, church is just not something, oh, well, if I feel like it, I'll go along. We are part of this body of Christ on earth that will be this bride being prepared. And we need to learn. We need to prepare ourselves through holiness, through prayer. Do you know what prayer really is? Prayer is practicing how it's got to be like to rule with God for eternity. (laughs) If you think about it, you're just putting into practice now what it's really going to be like to rule with Jesus Christ. Because now we pray and we think we want to know God's will. We don't always know it, so we're praying it. But then we will. The day is coming when we will. Let me get back to the story. Abraham and then Moses and this picture of the Lamb of God, wasn't it, that brought freedom to the people as they did that and obeyed that and they went into the promised land and there was covenants made and they showed them how to worship God and he raised up judges and he raised up kings that would lead them and he spoke to this special king, King David and he said, from your line, from your family I'm going to place one of your descendants on the throne forever and you can trace it through you get through to the beginning of the new testament matthew there's that lineage from abraham to david and then david to jesus and you can see how this messiah jesus christ fulfills these promises that have been made and even though that god's people were in god's land they wandered away from god and they were taken off eventually into exile and even there god was speaking to them he sent them prophets Speaking of this greater thing to come, as someone prayed earlier, there's still the best is still to come. And it was then for them as it is for us. And then we come into the New Testament when they come back from exile and there's years of silence, but suddenly there's this bursting forth of angelic presence and the, the power of the Spirit. Because why? Because the time has now come for Jesus to be born. You see, the Bible says it like this. He says, God was not in a hurry. I love it when it says, when the time was right, God sent his son. God is never in a hurry. Another verse from the New Testament, why is he not in a hurry? Because he wants all to come to repentance. If you're not a Christian, you see, God God hasn't sent his son Jesus back to the second time to wind up history yet because actually he wants you to be part of what comes afterwards. And we need to respond to God. Jesus comes in the flesh, the God-man, 
God as though he was not man, man as though he was not God. Get your mind around that one. But here's the God-man who dies as a substitute for us, taking on board all our wrongdoing, our sin, as we thought yesterday, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. There's a transfer, an exchange that took place when Jesus died. He took my sin. He took your sin. So that by faith we might receive his righteousness. And we saw how Christ died, but the death couldn't keep him. He rose again victorious. And he poured out his spirit on the church. And the church has gone forth from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And he's equipped us with his word. We've heard Don talk about the letters last week. And he's made his church to be his ambassadors. We have been given, it through Christ, the taste of the kingdom. And we're to take that and share it with others. And as time goes on, God is still not in a hurry. Several thousand years, isn't it, has gone on because he still wants more and more people to come to repentance and to dwell in eternity with him. God's original plan is being worked out. And I don't know about you, but I have really, I've enjoyed studying this series and preparing for it. I've enjoyed particularly reading some of Dave Best's notes that he's, uh, he's put on the, on the websites and things, and you can download them, you know, that give further studies for these things. They're, they're, they're fantastic. But we're in that place where actually we're still waiting. We've been waiting for over 2,000 years for the return of Jesus Christ, haven't we? But the delay will not go on forever. Jesus came the first time, just as it was promised. Jesus will come a second time, just as it is promised. Amen. Yesterday, when we were at this wedding, we saw how it culminates, not a wedding between man and woman, but this culmination of history, wrapping up, coming to this culmination point where we will see him face to face and we'll dance in the city of God as we sang. Why? Because there's a wedding, there's a feast and we, the believing church of Jesus Christ, will dwell with him forever. I want you to be included in that. Well, the book of Revelations, where we get to on that, the last book of the Bible was, um, was written by the disciple John, Apostle John, during a time of really quite extreme persecution under a Roman emperor by the name of Domitian. And uh, the style of literature for Revelation we call apocalyptic. It's kind of, it's symbolic language, pictures of what the future might be. And, uh, it's, it's, Trying to convey a message is in it God gave John a series of visions that in a way pull back the curtains on history, pull back the curtains on the things that we don't know and the things that are unseen so that we can get a glimpse into some of the things that you can see. Oh, you can see these. Oh, brilliant. 
I can't see them, but you can. <laughs> I didn't think they were up there. <coughs> Where was I? Yes. These, these scenes in the book of Revelation are designed to strengthen us as Christians so that we persevere despite the sufferings that we now go through on the earth. You see, the book of Revelation is not a book of woe and destruction and of judgments only. It is a book of hope. You say that with me. It's a book of hope. Someone's awake. (laughs) It's hope in the Gospel. It's hope in the cross of Jesus. It's hope in the Saviour who has won the battle against evil of every spiritual and earthly enemy through His cross and through His death on that cross. And as we as believers, we are on the winning side. Let's say hallelujah. We're on the winning side. You know, when I used to be obliged to play as a kid, I was always, always, I've always been short. You know, so if you, if you, if you, if, if, if you, if you're the shortest, you get picked last. We don't want him on our side. <laughs> we want someone bigger. You know, so, you know, I, I always used to think I want to be on the winning side. When I became a Christian, one of the greatest things that ever came, occurred to me is I'm on the winning side. It doesn't matter what happens now. I'm on the winning side. <laughs> Jesus is victorious. Amen? We go through some, I can think of some descriptive words for what we go through, but we go through it. But my God has promised, I will work all things together for good. Why? Because you believe, because you're called and you're chosen and you're trusting me. So you're on the winning side. That's what the book of Revelation is about, really. We need to, you know, this is hope indeed. We need to lift our eyes up from our struggles and see the king and his kingdom, both present and future. That's what this book, this last book of the Bible points to. Revelation starts with some letters from Jesus to his church, urging them, you know, the theme throughout all of them is urging them to remain faithful. Remain faithful. John has it like this. He says, then he goes on in, in a vision in chapter 4. He says, I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Amen? Yeah. You've got to remember, as I just said, John was writing in a time of persecution. Christians were being thrown to lions. But John writes and said, but you know, I may not see much sign of the kingdom of God on earth, but I've seen a vision and Jesus is on the throne. That kind of keeps you perked up, doesn't it? You know, we need to be remember this. When we're going through stuff, when we're suffering, when we're struggling, when there's sickness and illness and loss of job, when there's war and there's famine and there's persecution around us and people laugh at us and despise us, we need to have our eyes firmly fixed. Jesus is on the throne. God is in control. That's why the book of Revelation is this book of hope. There is a throne in heaven and it's not empty. Now, you know, in a way I was thinking how this worked. This is, this is a bit, who, who came into Weymouth the, the, the other week when they were filming? 
And if you venture down, I gather it was a, it was a traffic night. There was a Hollywood movie being filmed here on the on the um, kind of harbour side here. Uh, and you know, and if you didn't know that, I guess you'd be coming. You walked in, and you must have think, you know, they've changed it. They've even they've blocked out the road lines. They've done, they've changed what's going on. And you must have thought, what on earth's going on here? Only to find that there's the director in his director's chair directing it all. And in a way, that's what we see going on in our world and our universe. Sometimes we go in and we think, we look at Revelation itself, the book, and we think, I don't understand what all this means. I want you to know that there's a director and he's directing everything and it's all going to come together and it's all going to be magnificent. Whatever the appearances are, God is in control. He is sitting on his throne, directing the course of history. As we read Revelation, we see Jesus is there. Chapter 5, I saw a lamb. That lamb we've been speaking of all the way through. That little trace, as Spurgeon called it, that scarlet thread that you puncture right the way through the Bible and you see Jesus on every page. I saw a lamb, looking as if he had been slain. Standing in the centre of the throne. You see, Jesus is the King of Kings. I love Jesus. I am a Jesus man. I, I was sharing this with another pastor a couple of weeks ago. And he, he talks about God all the time. God this, God that. And I, don't, I, don't know, I like to talk about Jesus. Just because I find that I meet people who make God into anything they want him to be. <laughs> right? There's the smorgasbord. Oh, my God's not like that. Well, let's just look at Jesus. Because God's like Jesus, because Jesus is God. <laughs> you know. And actually, I kind of relate that way. And I kind of, you know, one of the wonders to me is Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. With his Father and with his Spirit. I'm not trying to separate the Godhead in any way, but I just rejoice. Jesus is King. The one who suffered has triumphed. And even though we may not understand all the things that are going on in the world around us, we can be sure of this. He is still in control. The elders in John's vision respond. You know, They cast their crowns before him, before that throne. And they fall down. As I was saying yesterday, six times in the book of Revelation, these elders appear. And they always do the same thing. They fall down and worship. (laughs) And we should follow their example. We just bow down and worship. God is God. And he deserves my worship. To him who sits on the throne. To the Lamb. Be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. We'd be wise to follow their example, wouldn't we? Hmm? Jesus is king. Even to those who don't recognize him yet. Because the day is coming when all creation will bow and honor his name. Revelation is not a book that is easy to interpret. And I was kind of thinking, how am I going to cover the book of Revelation in ten minutes? <laughs> and I, I, People kind of do this for donkey's years, don't they? You know, it, often we miss the big picture 
by getting concentrating on the small details. That's what happens, I find, when people get into the book of Revelation. We want to kind of, I want to know what that means. What does that little bit mean? Who was here some years ago on Sunday nights? We went through the book of Revelation, right? Yep. <clears throat> some people remember a few. <laughs> and we just did it, because it says at the beginning, blessed are those who read this prophecy. So I thought, well, we better read it then. <laughs> you know? Not that I hadn't read it before. But I thought, let's not preach and try and look at every single verse. Let's just read this prophecy and give an annotated picture of it. And what that does is it allows you to gain and hold on to the big picture rather than trying to think, I wonder what that thing means. And you focus on that little detail. And you then get into the realms of speculations. And I don't think that's always helpful. Revelation, you see, the chapters that follow after this glimpse of heaven in chapters 4 and 5, you know, we come into this area where there's just it's dominated by a sequence of judgments seven uh, seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls and, and four horsemen and good knows what else. And you can read all of that and you kind of think, wow, it's amazing stuff. But you then also step back and say, I don't know what it means. <laughs> and you just boggled with it. Well, a lot of people have done a lot of work over the years to try and interpret Revelation. And, you know, there's different things. If I put it up there, if you go on to the next slide, there's some of the systems of interpretation that some people use. It's what's called the preterist view, where actually all the symbols in Revelations refer to people or institutions at the time when John was writing. Then they try and interpret Revelation in that light. There's another one called the, uh, the historist view. Uh, and that's where it's kind of, well, this is a chronological account of different periods through church history that will then eventually culminate in, uh, in the wedding of the Lamb. You know. And there are others, they would call it the futurist view, saying, well, actually all the events in the book are actually just the very end of the world, the period running up to the very return of Christ. And so we're not sure if we've got there yet, because they think that it's still only at the very end. And I could probably go on and get really technical with all these things, I would only have to say that actually every view has got its problem. It's a bit like discussing another thing in, um, in the book of Revelation when you want to discuss what does the millennium mean. I am not going to talk about that today. <laughs> you know, as I, as I say to some people, I have believed them all at one point. They make sense when someone else makes, describes it to me and then the next one makes sense when someone describes it. So I kind of think, you know what, I'm holding on to the end. Because the real message of Revelation, as we thought about it yesterday in the, in the wedding service, is, are we ready? Are we ready? So I believe the better way to see the book of Revelation and all this, the scenes that are going on there are just describing uh, what will happen during the whole period of what we've come to call the last days. Since Jesus returned, ascended to heaven, we're in the last days, waiting for the last day, but this period of thousands of years is the last days, and we're to be preparing. See, Revelation wasn't given to be a little time chart where we just kind of, oh, this is going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and then... I don't think it was given for that. Most prophecies in the, in the New and the Old Testament didn't work that way. I don't see why Revelation should. Rather, these things kind of run in parallel with each other. 
seven seals and trumpets and bowls don't follow each other. They seem to be happening all at the same time. You get into the interpretation of what these different things mean and you have these pictures of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and you kind of like, yeah, story makers and filmmakers can make all sorts of things out of that. I tend to understand that actually these things are representing kind of imperialistic forces and wicked societies, bloodshed, death, economic instability. But they're not just coming at the end, they've been in every generation. They've always been with us, which is why we need to hold firmly to the vision of the throne as we persevere. That all these things can be happening around us, but I still see Jesus, and I fix my eyes on him, and I set my mind on him, as Paul once says we should. And I will follow him and trust him to the very end, and persevere through these dark times, reminding ourselves that it's not going to last forever. See, when we get to the last chapters, or the last few chapters, we are taken to the end time itself. We get through all the times of darkness, and we're taken to this time just before Jesus returns. It's a time when Jesus will destroy evil and establish a perfect kingdom this kingdom that was once perfect in eden that he's promised restoration redemption salvation for the time is coming when he will restore it he's done some of that already we have a taste of it but it's not complete and so we rest in hope we look forward the time will come we're in the last of the last days and God will introduce his new creation. Someone say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, there'll be a complete makeover. Out with the old and in with the new. A new heaven and a new earth. Everything. So we read in that text last yesterday at the wedding when God finished it and he says, I am making all things new. Hallelujah. You get to Revelation chapter 17 and uh, there's this figure called Babylon, this prostitute, this, this just an evil figure. It's called the abomination of the earth. And you can work out all sorts of pictures of what that means and I just know that it represents non-Christian society that's organised without any reference to God. Does that sound like our own country at times? Does it sound like your country at times? Or wherever you come from, you know, these things are happening in our time. Just as every generation has thought it's happened in their time. It goes on in Revelation and it says, why? Because kings of the earth have committed adultery. That's a, it's not sexual adultery, it's a spiritual adultery. They've sold themselves, they've got in the same bed as these ideologies and philosophies that are not going to do, that don't do the, the, the world any good, referencing without God. We become intoxicated with her wine. And as Christians, we need to resist the advances of all the isms that seem to just charge against what we believe in. In fact, I think we are like the people back, the people of Judah back in the 6th century BC. We are 
foreigners and aliens, aren't we? We're in exile in a foreign world at the moment, longing to see the coming of this new kingdom, this this land, this place where we should be, where we will dwell with our God in perfect harmony forever. Babylon. We're often tempted to compromise, go along with prevailing spirit of this world. But Christian people, you know, this can happen in work, this can happen in your relationships, can happen in marriage, Sexual things, it can happen in political things, it can happen in your, your... You just, anywhere in life, you will find there's a place to compromise. I urge you, stand up and be counted. Do not conform, but be transformed. We need to resist and live for Christ. I love it when you get to chapter 18. We're getting through there and, and it says the great city of Babylon will be thrown down. Amen. Never to be found again. This It's all full of symbolism. It's really saying all the enemies of God, all the anti-Christian powers and ideologies and Satan himself will be judged and thrown into an eternal lake of fire. Amen. Where they can do no more harm. All of humanity will stand before God in judgment and all those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord will be excluded from this perfected kingdom that Jesus brings into existence. I need to tell you, hell is a real place. And I don't want to see you there. Just as heaven is a real place. And I do want to see you there. See, someone might be listening to me and say, do you really believe this stuff? Yes, I do. And I know there's many others here in this room that do exactly that. Because we have seen what God has done. What he has done and what he is doing in our own lives personally and in the lives of others. And it starts there. When you want to see this global historical picture, you've got to start with saying, I can see what God is doing for me. That's why when we come on these rhythms that we want for our our church, is not just to know God's story, but let's know each other's stories. What has God done for you? You just know. I may be struggling. You know, my mum's not here, but she has struggled with illness and suffering all my life. I've just turned 55. She probably started the illness. You know, I remember times when I'm going to sit in hospital and just read her psalms. Sit at her bedside. <coughs> Occasionally she'll have some good periods. But when someone struggles and suffered and has been ill and in so much pain all the time, they look forward to getting to heaven. But actually, it doesn't have to be just those who suffer that look forward. We all need to be looking forward. There used to be a phrase around that, you know, you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. I think the church of today is nowhere near that. We're not heavenly minded enough. We need to be more heavenly minded so that we are of some earthly use. Because we've got something we're looking forward to. Something to invite people to. 
If this is it here and now, and this is all of it, it's not much. We just have to taste. The best is yet to come. You see, history is littered with attempts to make brave new worlds. Marxism, Nazism, revolutionary, secular humanism, capitalism, all the isms that just kind of chucked in our faces, and none of them have given us the utopias that they've wanted to, to, to espouse. And don't get me wrong, it's not capitalism or ignorance or wicked governments that spoil life on earth. Rather, actually, it's the power of evil that originates from Satan himself. He twists the structures of society. But the last chapters of Revelation just use this picture where God destroys this power. And the end of time and makes possible for the new creation to come in. His judgment is a terrible thing. But actually judgment is also good news. Justice will be done. I have spent time with some of you here and I'm sure in the lives of others things have happened in your life where you are, you are so grieved you're so hurt And you would love to get hold of that person who said those things or have done those things and throttle them, or worse. But you know in your heart of hearts that a Christian, you're supposed to leave them to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave it to him. The day is coming when that justice will be meted out. We worship a God who is just. I love the words of Abraham when he says, will not the God of all the earth do what is right? Yes, he will. So let's lower our voices and control our anger and go on in worship knowing that God, God's judgments will be perfect and fair. God's final work of salvation can be completed. His wedding of the Lamb and his bride time of celebration that will last forever. Now like me, I'm sure there are many places in Revelation that you just don't understand all the language and the imagery. But know this, Christ is triumphant. Evil will be destroyed. God will create a new earth that has been promised to the prophets and to way back in through Genesis. That's the series we've been doing and we need to hear that promise today. Revelation 21-22 promises this new creation. I love these verses. Revelation 21 I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Since sin had affected the whole created order then God's salvation, if it's to be complete, needs to recreate the whole created order. That's why when we were back in Romans 8 some year or so ago, what did we read about the whole of creation groans inwardly with eager expectation to being renewed? 
where even the whole of creation is looking forward to this new creation. Then it will be liberated from the bondage of decay. You and I. You see, we, we, have, we live in a world that says it's evolution, everything's getting better. No, we live in a world, if we understand the Bible, where everything's getting worse. It's decaying. It's in bondage. But the day will come, we'll be liberated from that. We'll be liberated from this flesh that holds me down. <laughs> you know, the day is coming when the cycle of life just to be followed by death will be broken. In Revelation 21, there will be no more death. Amen? Amen? <laughs> hey? There will be no more decay in the new creation. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible began with this picture of this perfect world in living with its loving creator that was then destroyed by human sin. But the big picture of God through the Bible is he has promised to restore it and he does. Amen. God's promises will be completely fulfilled and God's people will consist of those from every nation, every tongue and every tribe who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Gary, I'm going to see you in heaven even if I don't see you on earth anymore. All right? Why? Because even Americans are welcome. <laughs> you know, the music of heaven, you'll say it's Welsh. I think it's bagpipes. You know, <laughs> hey, we're going to have everything. We're going to have the best of all of them. And we're even going to dance, for some of us who don't really dance very well. <laughs> the day is coming. We'll be reunited in God's place. God's people in God's place, submitting to God's rule, knowing God's perfect blessing. It's going to be great. But let's remember something. That's still to come. That's still to come. And you may be suffering and feeling sick. You may be going through relationship breakdowns. You may be anxious and worried about the state of the world. Whatever it may be, but we need that hope. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming. And we're looking forward to the final fulfilment of his promises. And in the end of Revelation, Jesus turns around and says these words, Yes, I am coming soon. But does that mean we just sit in church and wait for him to come? No. I want to turn as I close on this passage because there's something important here. I want to turn to chapter 22. Let's just read from it here. It's on the screen. Well, it will be, that one. Now, if we go on. Yeah, both. All is great. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let all who hear say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let them come. And whoever wishes, let them take the free gift of the water of life. 
You see, the Holy Spirit and the bride, the believing church, are inviting Jesus to come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Return to this earth. Jesus promised that he was going to return and he's going to come back and bring the light of glory into this world that is trapped in darkness. Why does the Holy Spirit and the bride extend this? Because the Spirit wants to see Jesus as the King of kings of the Lord of the universe sitting on his throne. And we, the bride, we want to see our Lord, our Saviour, the one who died for us. We long to see him. And so we say, come Lord Jesus, even so come. Because you died on a cross for us. However, this invitation is not just an invitation to Jesus It's an invitation to those that don't know Jesus. Who don't know Christ as Lord and Saviour, that they too might come and know Him. The Spirit invites as He taps you on the shoulder and He convicts you in your heart. This is the truth. You've sinned. You need to repent. You need to stop believing the lies and believe God's truth. And you turn to him and you find this great salvation. And the Holy Spirit is working now, even now, in someone's heart to do that. The Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction. But it's an invitation. He's saying, come. There's so much more to in the future. Why don't you come? And we, the bride, the church, we are God's witnessing people still on earth. Through all the darkness that the book of Revelation describes, we are to be his witnessing people. We're not just to sit in church now. No, the church is about to leave the building in the next five minutes. Right? So church is not over, it's just begun. Because the bride goes out into our community and we give this invitation, come, anyone who's thirsty, come. Anyone who wants to, come. Take this free gift of this water of life. What a challenge for us as a church. We should be always in the business of inviting people to know Jesus Christ. You know, we tend to get into the business of inviting people to come to church. That doesn't always work. (laughs) Because you're embarrassed about, well, they might not like the church. Just talk about Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Because he's likeable. Some of us aren't brilliant at that. We're living in a world that is growing darker and darker and it needs the gospel. And we hold this light of Christ in our hands, in our hearts, and we are to go into the world and make this hope and the promises of God known to people. So when we see the purposes of God, and we look forward, we say, yeah, it's not there yet. We're saying, come Lord Jesus, but he says, just as I was sent, so am I sending you. So there's a message for us as a church here. Go and let this free gift of life Be known to people. People who are thirsty. People who are sick of drinking the stagnant pools that our society offers. 
People are longing for something more. They've looked everywhere for fulfillment. you looked everywhere for satisfaction and happiness and you're still disappointed with what the world's got to offer. Come, all you who are thirsty. For Jesus gives water that brings eternal life. It will satisfy your soul. Anyone who's willing to come. See, God presents his gift of salvation and it's free. I mean, it's cheap. Jesus paid a great price for it. But it's free. Anyone who's heard me over the last 14 years knows that I love to talk about the free gift of salvation. There's a gift for anyone who wants it. But it only remains a gift. Unwrapped because you have to receive it. I like the paraf- to paraphrase John Calvin when he says, the blood of Christ was sufficient for all, but is of no effect until you believe. Christ died for the whole world. Does that mean the whole world is saved? No. But to anyone who will come and believe, The righteousness of Christ becomes yours. There's a place at the wedding feast for you, for this eternity. For some of you, this is a message of hope, that you need salvation. Maybe someone here today, that's exactly what it is. But for many of us here, this is a message that as we wrap up this series, it hasn't finished. We look forward in hope and we persevere through difficulty and we go on being Christ's ambassadors. So that we can say, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. We've got to do that. Despite the ever-increasing wickedness and darkness of the world, Christ is victorious. We're on the winning side. But until Jesus comes again, we're about his work. The mission of God. It began before creation to gather a people unto himself and he's using you and me. I'm about to go on some sabbatical leave in a couple of weeks' time. Doesn't mean to say we're, oh great, I don't have to do anything for God for three months. (laughs) No, wherever we go, wherever you go, some of you are from visiting towns and cities and countries, wherever you go, Christian people, go as Christ's ambassadors. Speaking in harmony with the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. The worship group would like to come. Oh, Father God, I am amazed with you. I'm in awe and wonder with you. You you work all things out. And I look at this book of Revelation and all these things that are described has come and I can't understand and grasp and fathom the depths of the details but I see your big picture, Lord. Christ triumphant, ever reigning and we are gathered to spend eternity with you. 
to be your bride next to your side forever. But now, Lord, equip us in the Spirit to be those who invite others. As we long to see you, go on changing us, we pray, using us, Where we struggle and we suffer, help us to keep our eyes on You and keep persevering. To trust You because You will work it all out. And for that we say, thank You. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.